please open the Word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Some of you already may be there. Here, just before the Lord's table that Ryan shared. Our focus is chapter 11, verse 2 through verse 16. You have an outline that uh, I try to stay with. And we would be looking at verses 7 through 10 this day. But I want to read all of it so we get the flow of what's going on. And then we'll ask the Lord to help us. Beginning at verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and, a wo- and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman who has a head, whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious... We have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Father, I ask that you would teach us. Father, we would open our hearts and our minds to what you're saying. Father, the things of this world, the philosophies of our society and our cultures be laid away. Father, the things of your kingdom, of your righteousness, would be that that we would embrace, that we would grab a hold of, that we would long for. And Father, what you're giving us here, we would cherish it. Father, we would embrace it to your glory and your praise. Amen. I look at the hats this morning, I think that I must have a lot of people who are praying and prophesying. What a concept. We are looking at a text that is God's design. Do I understand what God's design is? We're looking at a book that basically lays out what I call practical holiness. This is what it means to be holy, set apart from the world. Why? Because eventually the Lord willing and he waits longer than is 
I believe, necessary. Uh, we will do 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians deals with ministry. Ministry is not some great spiritual understanding. Ministry is service. But if I do not have my practical holiness set aside, if I am not where God wants me to be, I have no ministry. You may be busy, but you have no ministry. Because God says, I will accomplish it. And if I am not willing to bow my heart and my soul to the King of kings and Lord of lords, then I don't have to worry about it. We started with verse 3. The design was stated. God wanted to show us the vastness of this design. I have really prayed hard for this message. And the reason is, there is so much implicated in verses 7 through 10 that it is mind-boggling. All right, because we're coming out of what he said in verse 31 of chapter 10. Whatever you do, eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Okay, and that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. And we got to understand that. We also looked at the design as it applied, verses 4 through 6. All right, and he's dealing with what I call the two dimensions of ministry. What does it what is a spiritual being? I remember uh, I think it was a year ago I was down in Durango with uh, uh the youth and uh, I I was just down there to bother some people is what I was about. Um and I I took uh the the, the adult staff out to dinner one night and I asked them a question. What does a godly man look like? Okay, of course, they were more concerned about their meals and the answers, and it was kind of fun and all the rest of it. But I, I share that because you and I, if I asked that question today, it's sort of like asking, what is the church? If you were to describe the church today, it'd probably distress me to find out what multiple answers are concerning what is the church. Uh, it would probably distress me if... People told me what a godly man looked like, too, but we won't touch that one. We'll leave that alone. What we're looking at is, is a very interesting text because it is, it is something that I see that is abused. The role of man and woman. I look at it abused from the woman's perspective. I see it abused from the man's perspective. Either one brings shame and sin against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because... We have a tendency as people to swing hard left, hard right. And I'm not talking about Democrats and Republicans. I'm talking about we see one thing and we want to just cruise all the way over to that side. And we hang out over there. Or we see this and we want to swing way back over to this side. And God's called us to walk right here. And this is part of what this text deals with. Because... uh, This text is a little frustrating from a pastor's viewpoint because it needs to be taught at one shot. The birth of the church, it was not uncommon to have messages go all day. I'm not that crazy. Okay? Um, I I still get complaints that you're you're teaching for an hour. What can I say? Um, when we ask ourselves about this, because is, I get the question, and, and I asked it myself as I stepped into this text, is this a cultural? Yes. You can't take an epistle, all right? And what I mean by epistle, the New Testament letters, 
Right? They're all written to churches or church leaders, and they are dealing with something that is cultural to that church's specific location. But here's the thing about the Word of God. In its dealing with the cultural issue, there is a universal promise to it. There's a universal instruction to it. And that's where I think that we as Christians sometimes struggle. Women have a vital place in the life of the church. Did you know that? Um, And it's kind of cool because I went through and just jotted some stuff down. In the book of Psalms, chapter 68, verse 11, it says, The Lord gives the command. The women who proclaim good tidings are a great host. Interesting thought, isn't it? What would be good tidings? The good news, the gospel. Why? That's evangelism. That's evangelism. Did you know that women were literally involved in evangelism? Did you know that in Romans chapter 16, verse 2, it said women are of such honor that they literally are ministering to the saints of God? Did you know that? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Verse 11, Paul makes this, a woman, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. They must have a life that is approved. They have a life that is set aside. In chapter 5, he was speaking of widows in that same letter. He says, widows, those are those who are over 60, over childbearing age, because they have washed the feet of the saints. Women had a proven walk in the body of Christ. They do this day. Please understand that. It's not what I'm trying to get at. It's not what I'm saying. We're looking at a text last week that says women praying and prophesying. That's the two dimensions. One is talking, is the vertical, one is the horizontal. That's the two dimensions of, of ministry. When, I, when you claim to be saved, you are in the ministry. I hear people saying, well, I need a ministry job. You're in it. Unless you're not saved, you have a service that God has set up you apart for. And it has two dimensions to it. One is prayer. Prayer is the vertical. That's you to God. Prophecy, proclaiming to people. I like that. Who does that, he says? Males and females. Okay? So, it's, they're vital to evangelism. They're vital to the serving of the saints. Women are involved. Our Lord, when he ascended to heaven and he had gathered the saints in the upper room, who was there? Men and women. When the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came upon the birth of the church, who was there? Men and women. In Acts chapter 5 verse 14, there was a huge response to the teaching of the word. And it says multiple uh, multitudes were added into the kingdom. Who was there? Both men and women. Okay. <clears throat> Please understand this. Women are as gifted as any men. You know, I've seen this before, and and I'm not here to pick on anybody. 
All right. But there are times I see, you know, uh, the man is a spiritual uh, leader of the house and he needs to take care of the finances. What'd you just add to? Where is that in the Bible? That the man is supposed to take care of the finances. It's not in there. But why did you just do that? Well, because I think that that's what? What'd you just do? How many wise men were there? Three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wasn't it? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? What did you just do? You can't do that. Please understand that. There are times I've seen some men, you don't want them to be in charge of the finances. They haven't got a clue. Okay, it's a math thing. I don't know what it is. That, that is, we're trying to do stuff that isn't in the text. Do women pray? No, just men pray without ceasing. I, I, that drives me, well, I can't come because what if a woman prays? Oh, I don't know. I, and I dealt with this in its detail last week. You can either go online and hear the message and get the CD and stuff like that. We, we just got to be real careful about this. Women are as gifted as any men. Okay? But if I go back to verse 3 and I ask myself, what was God's design? I can look at it and I can say, here is authority and here is submission. Okay, in the early uh, an early convert into the body of Christ was a lady named Mary. Okay, she was the mother of John Mark. There's a whole bunch of Marys, but the mother of John Mark. You know what she did? She didn't pray or she didn't prophesy, but she she gave her house as a meeting place for the saints in Jerusalem. When I was in the lands of Russia, I seen that all over the place. Places where you see houses of prayer sprouting up, usually a widow had given that house so that the church could meet. I see Lydia in Philippi. What did she do? She was very rich. She was a trader in textiles. I hear people say, well, women don't work. Really? So the Proverbs 31 woman was in sin. Okay. What are we doing? Okay, we've got to be real careful. You know, the last chapter of the book of Romans, Paul names 26 individuals and he singles these out for eternity as special service to the saints. Did you know that we can absolutely be sure eight of them are women? There may be more because uh, they had some names that could go gendered either way. My name, Terry, you know, that can be a, a, a male or a female. All right, so, but we can be sure of the 26 names, eight of them are women. Philip had two daughters. Okay, Philip the evangelist, the one who reached the Ethiopian eunuch, the one who took the gospel into Samaria. What were their daughters gifted in? Prophesying. You know what that is? Preaching, proclaiming truth. Okay, Acts chapter 18, an amazing text, an amazing text. Um, a husband and wife, Priscilla and Aquila. And it says they did what? 
Let me see if I can make it really simple to you. They instructed the new pastor of the church in Corinth. You know what's amazing about that text? Why didn't God just say Aquila did it? Why didn't he say that? I mean, God wrote the book. Well, it was the man. Then why did he use Priscilla? Okay, here's the thing. Are women gifted in teaching? We, we, does everybody agree with that? Right? I am an elder. Okay? I have oversight over the souls entrusted to me. There are women teachers in this body of people. Right? How do I know what they're teaching? If I'm not supposed to listen to them? Do you see what I'm getting at? I I see, well, you can't, there's a woman teaching. Yeah, she's pretty good at it too. What are we doing? Well, because I want you to understand, because what I'm getting ready to step into, if I take verses 7 through 10 and read them in a public forum, I'm going to be shot. Okay? And I want you to understand that women are vital to the body of Christ. All right? Aquila and Priscilla, both were used to instruct Apollos. Okay? But I want you to understand something. There is an equality that is between men and women in the spiritual dimension and in the life of the church. Galatians 3.28, I started this, what, four weeks ago? Neither male or female that are in Christ. Right? Okay? Yet, there's a difference in their roles. Are they spiritually equal? Absolutely. But the roles were assigned by who? By God. Why? It's God's design. And God maintains this distinction in the church, in the home, in society in general. Okay, why? It is God's design. God said this is the way it needs to be done. All right? We are equal except in the assignments of roles. Um, Al is a deacon. I am an elder. Okay? Al and I are equal, except I have more hair. (laughs) I mean, but we're still equal. Are we not? If you take Al and put him here and you put me right beside him, in Christ, is there a difference? Is there a difference in the assignments of roles? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, we've got to get a hold of this. We're equal we, except for the roles. I mean, I can take my wife, all right? In Christ, am I equal with my wife? Is my wife equal with me? But her role is different. You don't want me playing the piano. <laughs> Okay? When we put women in a position, 
or they absurd their responsibility that was meant for men. They misuse the divine design. Or we cause them to misuse the divine design. And when any time you do that, you forfeit that usefulness in its highest capacity. It's gone. Blessing is gone. Okay? We've got to understand that. You know, I see some who are fighting for the equality of women in the church. You know what is amazing to me about that? There's no debate. What are you fighting for? Okay? I see the, I see the same thing when they fight for racial equality in the church. What? I don't understand that. I mean, you're fighting for something that, what, you don't believe the Bible is true then? Because the Bible says it's true. There is equality in the male and the female, and yet there is assignments are different. Correct? We all agree with that. That's the fundamental thing that we're looking at here. And it basically falls into two categories, authority and submission. We looked at it, the state of design. Authority cannot function without submission, right? You know what's even weirder than that? Submission cannot function without authority. They're mutually dependent, aren't they? You can have all the authority in the world. If nobody's doing it, what do you got? Politics. <laughs> a democracy I don't know what you're about okay when Christianity arrived at the writing of the New Testament women were thought of as slaves they were basically a step above animals or tools that's all they were even to the point that male Jews used to pray um, they had a, a prayer of thanksgiving there were three things they were thankful that they weren't Gentile slave or a woman? Okay? Alright? In the city of Corinth, at the writing of the letter of the Corinthians, you have a city that was established on what they call a free city because it was Roman slaves who had been free and they were given a plot of land and they could start a business and that's what Corinth was based on. So you had in that city a whole bunch of people who used to be what? Slaves. And now they are free. And you have a church that was bringing that philosophy in and trying to blend it with Christianity and get a better what? All right. Listen, I I want you to understand you are free in Christ. You are free in Christ. But if you try to let your freedom master you, you will bring division, heartache, and you will deny Scripture, and you will deny the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ that He has in the fulfillment of your life. And this is scary stuff for me today. Listen, if you deny that a woman is to be submissive to a man, then you must deny that the church is submissive to Christ. I can look around at a lot of churches and say, yeah, Okay, it's not submitted to Christ. Here's the scariest part of that, though. If I deny those two, then I have to deny that Christ was submitted to the Father in His incarnation. 
and where is salvation if Christ is not submitted? Okay? So I want to look at this because the design has been applied, the design has been stated, but I want to show you the, des- the design defended. Men, don't cover your head in general. Why? Look what it says. Since he is the image and glory of God. All right. Uh, now, my Lord, I hope that you went before me on this one. This is a very strong and it's a very broad statement. Man needs to be uncovered when he is in the two dimensions of ministry, praying and prophesying. Okay, if you're out cutting wood and you want to wear a hat, Al, please. Okay, if you're praying or prophesying, um, give your hat to Sandy. Okay, basically what it is, when I'm ministering in public, because of a divine reality that I am connected with my creator, I should keep my head uncovered. Why? It says that man was created to be the image and glory of God. Is that what your Bible says? That's what my Bible says. Um, Why? Well, first and foremost, a covering is a divine symbol of submission. Okay, who is God submitted to? What does it say here in verse 7? He is the image and glory of God. Covering means humble, a sign of humility. What does it say that man is supposed to be doing here? So man, man needs to be uncovered because he is the what? Image of God. Originally, man was created a moral uh, image of God, correct? Originally, man was created with the intellect of God, correct? Let's move around. I want to show you some stuff here that just absolutely freaks me out. All right, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Put on the new self, which is... What does it say? Likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. What does that... Is that... What does that mean? Well, glad you asked. In the restoration that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we? What does your Bible say? You are in the likeness of who? Hmm. Look at Ephesians 3.10.
For you people who don't like the church, don't read this. Three ten Ephesians, so that the manifold, the the multicolored what wisdom of God might now be made known where to where to rulers and authorities where what would be the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is that? This is a heavy message, man. This thing here just fires me up. Everybody says, why do you get so passionate and you yell and you scream? Because you don't get this. I put on Christ. I am His righteousness and His holiness and the manifestation of the wisdom of God to the angelic host. Angels look and say, wow. Why? I am as a man am created in the image and glory of who? God. God. I, I don't understand how that don't fire somebody up. The multifaceted coloring, the multi-angles, the multiplication of God's wisdom is manifested through the church to who? To the beings in control of the heavenlies. Why would I shortchange that? Why would I? I want to run it like a business. I want to run it like the manifestation of God so the angels will stand there with their mouths open going, whoa. I don't understand. (laughs) We who have fallen have been restored into Christ in the original model, in the original plan, the original design that God started the whole mess. You couldn't get yourselves out of it. I redeemed you. And I redeemed you in such a massive and powerful way that the angelic host look at it and go, whoa, We were here when he threw the stars into the heaven. He made the galaxies, the cosmos. He made all of existence and he maintains it. And yet nothing shows his power more than the redemption of fallen man. The fallen man now magnifies, glorifies, exalts the image of God and his glory. And I would trade that for what? A Bentley. A congregation of 500? What? What would you trade that for? I have been restored to the intellect of God. Did you know that? I've been restored to the emotions of God. Did you know that? I've been restored to the knowledge and the righteousness and holiness of God. Did you know that? It's already there. I'm not waiting to be restored. It isn't something, well, it's going to happen when I'm in heaven. Then you need to get saved. Because I want to live in the heavenlies now. Go back to your text. 
Corinthians 11. Man is the highest manifestation of God in the earth. Did you know that? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says man was given dominion in the world. God created man to rule over everything. Did you hear what I just said? The text of Genesis 1 says man was given dominion over the world. Do you know what's key about that text? That you're going to really have to ponder? Woman ain't there. I didn't write it. She ain't there. She ain't there. King of the earth. King of the earth. Who? Man. Throughout the history of humankind, men have ruled the world through governments, through business, through economics, through education, through social aspects. Men have been in charge. Why? Why? First three. God designed it that way. Think about this for a second. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 says this. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husband as unto... It's definite article, curios. You are to submit yourselves to your husband as unto the Lord. Why? Because the man is the image and the glory of God. Why? Because man sits in the place of dominion in the place of Christ. The highest manifestation of Jesus Christ on the planet earth is what? Man. Man has a responsibility then never to wear his head as a mark of subjection or submission. Why? That's the plan. That's the design. Let me share with you something. When I was at the Western Wall uh, a year ago, I was there for a high holy day, the, uh, the holiday of Parham, and the, the Jews, it was just phenomenal to watch, but they would all come in and the rabbis were there. Uh, whoever they were under, I look at your hats and I th- think about this in Israel. If you're under a certain rabbi, you wear a certain style hat. Okay, I mean, they had great big broad rim hats, little brim hats. Things look like derbies, things that look like some kind of animal died on your head. Uh, fuzzy. I thought, gee, my crickets are in a desert and you're wearing that thing. But if I am of that rabbi, then I wear that style of hat. So I look at your guys' hat and think, I don't know who's teaching you're under. <laughs> but anyway, they would come in and they would take the little hat and they had to cover their heads before they went to the wall and prayed. 
Why? If verse 7 is what it says it is, why do they do that? And I can tell you why. The rabbis taught them that they had to do that. Why? When they went to pray, they sought out their, their rabbi and they would do whatever he would ask them to do and then they would go pray. All right? Why? It's a misinterpretation of Exodus 33. You know what Exodus 33 is, right? Show me your glory. Moses was having an identity crisis. I mean, he'd been hanging out to bushes that were being, that looked to be on fire but weren't being consumed. And so he was having a problem. And he says, show me your glory. And he says, I'm going to stick you in the cleft of the rock. And as I go by, what would happen? You'd get a glimpse of his glory. Okay? When he did that, what happened to Moses? He got glory all over him. He got smooged. With God's glory, and it was all over him. And so when he came back down to the children of Israel, what did he do? For what reason? No, so that they would not see the glory fade. The rabbis misinterpret that text. They said that Moses, to look upon the glory of God, did what? Veiled himself. And therefore, if you will look upon the glory of God, you must veil yourself. What do you do with 1 Corinthians 11, 7? If you get around a man of God, then what should you do? According to the rabbis. Veil yourself. What? Is that not what it says? But it's a misinterpretation. If I'm going into the presence of God, that would be prayer. I'm going to go to your throne room and I'm going to talk to Abba. I'm going in there. Men, what should you not do? Cover yourselves. If I, after going into the presence of Abba, decide that it's He said, I want you to proclaim, I want you to prophesy something to me, to some people. What should the man do? Unveil yourself. Why? You are the image and... What does it say? I don't think you guys are buying this. Let me give you another text. Second uh, Corinthians, chapter three. I've had a number of people in their lives, in my life, who've come and said, "Well, you know, I know him and I understand him." And speaking of me, and it tickles me at times because some people haven't got a clue. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a top secret. This here is unfolding before you at this moment, and you will see something that so many people think they know about me, but they have no idea who I am. All right? 
you guys are about to get a, a, one of the greatest insights into who I am and what makes me tick than you'll ever get. And it is in chapter 3 of Second Corinthians. It begins in verse 12 and goes through verse 18. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Okay, what hope is that? Hmm. He is contrasting, verse 4, <clears throat> we have through Christ towards God the confidence, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, <clears throat> but our adequacy is where? It's from God. So we also, or we also made us adequate as what? Servants of what? A new covenant. A new diatheke. Not in the letter, but where? In the spirit. For the letter does what? Kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, that would be the old covenant. You understand the old covenant, right? We're killing animals to, to appease God. But the writer of Hebrews says, you know, the blood of bulls and goats does not take away the sin. It's just showing obedience, all right? But if we have a ministry of death and the letters engraved on stone came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because the glory of his face was fading. You know what he just said? In the old covenant, the covenant of death, where you went out and you killed the bullock, when you went out and you killed the goat, when you went out and you were making these substitutions for what was due that you should pay, and you could not look at the glory of God because at the glory of God at that point in time, there was this awful thing between you and God. And that awful thing was your sin. Your sin had not been paid for. You were showing your obedience by going to the temple, by going to and giving of financials, by giving of your best, your first fruits. You, by giving these things, you were showing your obedience, but you were showing your dependence. And it was a walk, but it had this awful, awful barrier between you and God. And therefore, when Moses would look at God, he would see the glory of God. It would just flat out cover him in the Shekinah just the glowing of God's presence, but because of the unregenerate heart, what happened to that? It would fade. It would fade. That, brothers and sisters, is the old covenant. Spurgeon put it this way. The Old Testament is the single most beautiful home that you have ever experienced, seen, or dreamed of in your life. And the New Testament turns all the lights on so you can see it in its fullness. All right, now, what, you just, what I just shared with you there, look at this because this is what makes me tick. If the ministry of death in letters and graves and stones came with glory so the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face was fading, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Do you get that? Do you understand what he just said? If Moses would glimpse at the glory of God, 
And it would just cover him. And then he would walk away. And in the fullness of man, it would slowly just diminish. He says, there is a new covenant. There is a new one. You just celebrated it. It was in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, in that new covenant, what should happen? We're talking about the glory of God. What should happen? It should get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter with every breath He graces you with. The glory of God in a believer can never fade. It only gets brighter. That's what that text says. And he says, with that in mind, I am bold in my speech. Well, duh. Look what he says. Twelve. We have such a great hope. Do you understand that? You understand it ain't got nothing to do with you and me? God said, I'm redeeming them, and I'm going to clean them up in such a way that everybody's going to be going, wow. Why? I am in them as Christ is in me, and I in them, and they in me, and we are one. Therefore, there's a unity in what's going to happen. My glory, my image is only going to get... Do we understand that? Uh, rabbis taught that Moses was veiled when he looked at the glory. Paul says, no, that's not true. Why? We're not like Moses, verse 13 says. And he says, let me show you the true interpretation of Exodus 33. Who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. What's he talking about? The glory of God. And he says, when I would be exposed to the glory of God, what would happen to it? It would fade away under the old covenant. Right? What is he contrasting it to? The new covenant. What is the new covenant? What? And you think about the new covenant. Okay, that's the New Testament. No, when you think about the New Testament, it is a manifestation of the glory of God. What is the Old Testament? It's a manifestation of the glory of God. The revealing. Let me reveal to you God. Okay, when you look at the Old Testament and you see the glory of God on the person of Moses, what would happen to it? It would slowly fade away. What happens to it in the New Testament? Duty, you don't think it don't get brighter, you ought to read the last chapter of Revelations. Okay? Then when I think about First Thessalonians, it says where no Second Thessalonians chapter one, where he talks about we're all going to be coming back with him, and the glory of God will be where? On the saints of God, and it says all people will look at it and go, He got saved? <laughs> I can't believe he got saved. You want to fire your pastor up? He says here that their minds are hardened. For to this very day, the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. The same veil. It's not the hat. The same veil. They're clothed over it. They can't see it. It's in there. They know it's in there. They, can, they know that the thing is moving around in there. They see a dim light moving around. They know it's there. But they can't see it. 
This veil lies over their heart. And when a person turns to the Lord, what happens? Please read that. Verse 16. When a person turns to the Lord, what happens? It doesn't slowly be removed. It's in the process of being taken away. Is that what it says? It will be through that thing. No, what happens? When a person believes in the Lord, they can see. Wow! Why don't that excite you? I can see. What? Jesus! Everywhere! And I am bold in my speech. Why? The glory and the image of God is where? Here! Now! Uh, Moses, remember? He goes up to the bush. I mean, everybody talks about the burning bush, right? I'm thinking the thing's talking. Okay? Burning bushes, I've seen burning bushes everywhere. Okay? All kinds of places. I have never ever seen a bush talk. Well, George. But anyway, uh, but, <coughs> when he got up to that bush, what did the bush tell him? Get your shoes off. Why? You're on holy ground. Now, let me ask you a question, brother and sister. You believe the Bible? Which part of it? All of it. Corinthians 11.7 says, now this is specifically for men, 11.7 says, what? You are the image and what? Glory Glory of who? God. You're in the new covenant. Are you not? Your veil has been removed. Has it not? Yes. Where's holy ground? Wherever I'm standing. You got that? Why would you shortchange yourself? Why would you be so consumed with what your work is calling you to do? Why would you be consumed about the stock market? Why would you be consumed about providing a house or something for your family? Well, my wife needs new clothes. My kids need college. Why would I be consumed with that? Why would that even be a thought? Where I stand is holy ground. Where I stand is the image and the glory of He who holds existence. It's not a process. I see now without a veil. What? The glory of God. It's now, brothers and sisters. The kingdom of heaven is not future. It is now. I can live in the heavenlies now. I can walk in the power and the majesty of God now. I ain't waiting on this. And yet I watch us in the church struggle with, I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I don't want to pray. I got to work overtime. I don't want to do this. Good Lord. What have we missed? We are the manifold wisdom of God presented to the angelic host. Now. Now. You want to know who I am and what I'm about? 12 through 18. The veil is removed. Lord of Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty or freedom? That's what I've been trying to explain. Look at verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, 
what? <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> Do you understand what he's saying? Anybody ever had a bad day? The whole world just hates you. Everything you did was wrong. They call you names and make accusations against you. It didn't go right. I didn't get paid. I should have been paid more. I got a boss who isn't this and da 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 da. All the rest of it. And when you look in the mirror, what do you see? <laughs> Read your verse. I see the image of God. I can look in the mirror and see God. I see his image. I see his glory. I see the fact that I got my next heartbeat. My next breath. Precious gift he's given to me. Why? Because he wants to manifest himself. And we, and we do what? He didn't put the veil on to view God. He removed the veil so you could see God. It's a sign of submission. What? Israel was to be veiled. You know what? There is a humility before God. But don't veil yourself, men. Don't cover yourself. Paul is correcting it here. Corrected it in 2 Corinthians. He corrected it in 1 Corinthians eleven seven. The Corinthian society probably had Jews in it. Okay, and you can go see this today, uh, you know, and, I, and I've got it. I got one of those prayer shawls for my mom when I was in Israel. My mom is a, is a woman of prayer, passionate prayer. And I got her one of those. Why? Because she wanted to cover her head when she went to prayer. Why? Because all the men in Israel do it. And they're not supposed to. Why? They're the image of God. They're the glory of God. Uncover it. You are not submitted. You have dominion, men. Over what? earth and all that is in it so you have this church who was struggling with division and correct and and people who had personality cults and they're well i'm of this person i'm of this pastor i'm of this kind of thing i'm of this thing here and then you have these jewish people who stand up to pray and they put this thing on and they well daggone i need to give me one of them because look how spiritual those are you ever seen people who light candles when they pray why It's tradition. Somebody said you're supposed to do that. Listen, I got nothing wrong with it. But the problem that I do have wrong is if a man is taking a position of submission before God and he's supposed to be the image and glory of God, who's he submitted to? Who does he submit to? God says, don't do that. I don't want you submitted. Why? I didn't make you the submissive one. I made you the authority. All right, now I want you to think about this because basically what he's saying is, men, if you're going to prophesy a prayer, get the cover off. Women, if you're going to prophesy a prayer, what? Cover it up. Why? You are submitted. Now, I'm going to read this because I'm supposed to. Since he is the image and glory of God, then there's the word but. And I can go read this any given place to any group of women, and I guarantee you I can get in trouble. Okay? What does it say? The woman is the what? 
See, now I didn't say that because he's taping this. It's going to be on the website, and I cannot be accused of it. Okay? Women are the glory of men. There's no definite article there. It is glory of man. Did you see? get that? It's not the men, the man. It is of man. Woman has been made to manifest man's authority as man has been made to manifest God's authority. Think about this. 1 Corinthians 14. When a woman needs to know something, what is she supposed to do? Go to her own husband. Okay? Listen, men, this is a grave responsibility. You know why? Uh, Lord, you need to help me. A woman's deepest and greatest spiritual resource is what? Man. Okay? Saving grace. A woman is coming to the same communion with God as any man. Absolutely, I already laid that all out for you. But her greatest single spiritual resource, her deepest resource is what? Okay. Women were equally restored. Women women were created and were made equal with male and female. In that image, the woman is not the glory of God. I didn't write it. Let me put it to you in the, the, the actual Greek language. Women are not the outshining of God, but she is the outshining of man. Now listen, if you struggle with that, um, verse 3 because God said I have designed it here's a quote from uh, Dr. MacArthur quote she demonstrates her significance in the world in response to the direction of men who are given divine dominion unquote Tell me that won't get you in trouble in our society today. Listen, that truth goes beyond the walls of Christianity or the church. Okay? You know why I say that? Look at verse 8. This New American Standard translation says, For man does not originate from woman. It literally says, Man does not come from woman. So I want you to just understand something that Paul says. I want to defend this, but I want you to understand that, yes, I can defend it in the church. And and I'm talking about praying and prophesying, but I can defend it from the creation account. Okay, which who is under the creation account? Well, if you're born a man and woman, you are of the creation account. Okay, regardless of redemption or not. Man did not originate... Man did not come from woman, period. Okay, which came first? The chicken. (laughs) God made man 
And when he made man, he gave man what? Dominion. And then man and God were just hanging out, naming animals. Right? And God said, I will make you what? A helper. And she will come out of where? Listen, here's something I just thought about. God could have created them both at the same time, couldn't he? Two piles of dirt, kind of put them together, blowing both of their noses. Right? Why didn't he? Because I have a design. Because I want the woman to understand when the husband looks at her and says, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you are not the image of God. I didn't write it. Listen, in a spiritual sense, there is no male or female. Absolutely. I agree. And when it comes to the body of Christ and what happens in the church, absolutely. There is none. The manifestation of the glory and the image of God is where? Man, I mean, Paul, I don't know. Look at verse 9. You want to go start a fight. I think about some of you guys, you work in places in the cubicle zones. Where there's a bunch of women. Read that verse in your cubicle zone. Verse 9. Okay? Just read it. Alright? Just think about it. I tell you what, man. If, if you're single today and you're thinking, I'm looking for a wife, go read a verse 9. See how well you do. You will become a monk. And so I took it back to the original language and translated it and wrestled with it and all the rest of it. And you know what I come up with? For indeed... Man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. What a drag. That's why when you hear the leaving and cleaving, one of the things that's tearing up marriages in in Christian homes today is they don't leave and cleave. The woman should leave the family and do what? Do you know what cleave means? You should do a word study on that. Because it'll depress you, women. It will flat out ruin you. Why? It says that I am to cut all ties. And that man is the image and glory of God, which means I should do what? I should not only submit to it, I should cling to it in such a way that it is everything in my life. Why? For me as a child of God, you know what the most single most important thing in my life is? Jesus Christ and His manifestation. Whether it is the body of Christ, the church, whether it is the manifestation of Christ in His scriptures or, or other Christians, whatever it is, that is it. And if you spend any time with me whatsoever, just a very short time, what are you going to find out? Demon, cricket, that guy is as narrow-minded and just... I've had people say, you know, there's times you just don't talk. You ain't talking about anything I'm interested in. 
I, you know, I'm not, I don't pay that much attention to some stuff. Okay? But when it comes to things of Christ, you can't hardly get me to shut up. Why? Because we have a tendency to talk about things that are important to us, don't we? Right? That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at here. And we need to understand through all of Holy Writ. Why? The woman was created for him. Man. Why? And she needs to leave and cleave. What does that mean? I am going to grab a hold of this precious gift that has been given to me from God. Now grab this because I showed you the vastness of, of, of how... Man is submitted to Christ. The woman is submitted to man and Christ was submitted to God. That's the design. Do you realize how big that is? Think about it for a second. Why is the church described as a female preparing for marriage? She must leave and cleave. Right? That's what the church is. Who will she to the groom? Jesus Christ. You guys who play church, what are you saying? You have the same relationship with your wives. Why? Who's important? And now listen, yeah, I know all the texts that a man's supposed to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Yes, I know all those. That ain't what I'm teaching. I'm teaching that a woman is supposed to what? She's supposed to submit to her husband as unto the Lord. What are the qualifiers? There aren't any. Abraham said, Sarah, sweetie, we're going into this big nasty kingdom and you're a looker and I'm afraid that you know this king may look at you and say... You're sweet, and I can't, you know, get into adultery or anything like that, so I'll kill your husband. Okay? And so Moses said, you know, it's going to be hard for me to be Lord over you if they kill me, so why don't you lie and tell them that you're my sister? Okay? So what did Sarah do? You mean to tell me he told me to sin? And you know what the Bible says? It was counted unto her as righteousness. The act of sinning, the act of submission. If a woman is to take the part of submission, Paul says next that she has to have a symbol. She has to have a symbol. Because a woman was created... For man's sake, therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. You ever wondered what the mark of the beast is? It's a symbol of submission to an authority. I am taking the mark of the beast. Who am I submitted to? To a different person, different ruler. Okay? Uh, Here, culturally, what he's talking about is the veil. We've already dealt with that. I don't want to rehash that. Acknowledge that you have power over you, women. That's what he's saying. You have authority over you, women. That's what he's saying. Okay? uh, There is one who has responsibility, and you should wear a symbol of that in your society. Okay? What does your society expect that shows this submission? Now listen, that's the broad part of it, absolutely. 
Definitely, absolutely. Not just because of your culture, though. All right? Look at the end of verse 10. Women, he says, you need to show. You need to bear a mark. You need to have something that is external that can be looked at that shows that you are submitted because of who? Angels. Okay, I wrote a great big note right here. What in the world? Okay, let me tell you something about angels. All right. Do you know angels watch the church? They look at the church. They see the church. Did you know that? Um, Why do they watch the church and see the church? They want to see the reflected church, the glory of God reflected in the church. I shared that with you in Ephesians 3, 9, and 10. Why? They want to see the attributes of God. They want to see the wisdom of God where? In the church. And a woman should recognize her place and her role of submission. And it should be clear from her lifestyle and from her the pattern of her life that she is submitted to authority. So that the angels, when they're looking at the church, will be pleased that the churches are submitted to the Lord. It's important for a woman to appear modest. It's important for a woman to appear submissive. It's not just for the sake of the culture that it's important. It is also because of reverence for higher spiritual intelligence and that they not be offended by less than submission. I don't know a lot about submission or a lot about um, angels, but I do want to go to a quick text because uh, I think that there's one thing that I can be really, really sure about when it comes to angelic hosts. Um, there's a principle that they recognize very, very well. Okay? It is a principle that they understand so completely they never, ever, ever have to ask why. Okay? That principle that the angelic hosts understand completely emphatically is the principle of authority and submission. The writer of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4 says this, Having become much better than the angel, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Verse 5, To which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten to you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all of the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels wins, his ministers of fire. You know what he's basically saying? Angels, you are servants. You are servants. They are ministering spirits. They are serving spirits. And the son has authority over them. So they understand emphatically authority and submission. To which of these angels has he ever said, sit down at my right hand and rule with me? That whole first chapter deals with that. I mean, if you're an angel, you're depressed. I'm just a slave angel. That's right. And understand this. See, here's something that we need to understand about the angelic host. What happened when an angel doesn't submit? It becomes a demon. And it follows Lucifer. And so the third of the angels that fell with Lucifer can never, ever 
come back into his presence. The other two-thirds who were hanging out there said, what do you think? (laughs) He's told me I need to go down and watch this church. What do you think? Should I go do that? Here's your options. Do you, do you, and so when you think about the angels, I think about that. When Paul uses that illustration in 1 Corinthians eleven ten, what is he saying? Women, you are showing a picture to the angelic hosts. They watch the church. They see the church. And a woman, you better recognize your place. Why? Because the angels do. See, angels understand that submission is right and proper and honoring unto God. So for the sake of the angels, Paul says, be not offensive. Why? Ephesians 3, 9 and 10, the manifold wisdom of God will do what? Come through the church to who? The rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies. When a woman submits takes her role that God has designed, the angels look at it and say, look, the manifestation, the making clear, the visual seeing of God's wisdom, power, and majesty right there in that church. Why? Because the church is submitted to Christ. In the church... The men have been given authority because they are submitted to Christ. And the women are submitted to to the men. Why? Because the women can look and say, I see the manifestation, the image and the glory of God in that man. And the angels look at it and say, wow. 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 The whole heavenlies are in awe of what God's doing in His church. Paul gives a good defense. Next week we'll look at the balance, the harmonized design. Father, I just praise you for your word. Lord, I just thank you for what you do. Father, I thank you for your design. I thank you for your purpose and your plan. Lord, may we, may we be those blessed servants. May we be as Isaiah when you say, who will I send? We would all stand in line saying, send me. Father, when it comes to laying it before the king, may we lay it all there. Father, if you ask for our homes, you ask for our houses, you ask for our jobs and everything else, may we just eagerly lay it at you. Why, Lord? Because you are the sovereign. Father, your wisdom, your power, your majesty is being manifest through your people. Father, I just praise you for the privilege of being a part of it. Father, may we all have the hearts of our brother Paul that be drink offerings just poured out. Father, let us stay the course. Let us fight the good fight. Father, let us keep the faith. Father, let us understand that there are a crown of righteousness laid up for all do this and those who would believe. To your praise, Lord, and your glory in Christ's name.
Amen.